Hey now, welcome to Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next so you have enough time to watch it. If you enjoy Random Movie Club, you can help keep it going by supporting us on Patreon. Supporters get special benefits like bonus episodes, patron-only events, giveaways, and more. Show your support for Random Movie Club and The Geek Generation by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com support. On this episode, I'll be discussing Shutter Island with Todriel. Let's roll the film. Shutter Island was released in 2010 from director Martin Scorsese. Based on a book by Dennis Lehane with a screenplay written by Leda Kalagridis, the film stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Ruffalo, Emily Mortimer, and Ben Kingsley. So Todd. So Rob. First question, as always, why did you choose this movie? When I first saw this film, I saw it back in 2010 when it was released. And uh, I saw it with my father. And I remember it absolutely just like, I remember midway through it just thinking, what what the hell is this? And at the end, just being like, what the fuck did I just watch? And realizing like, okay, I'm going to have to go see this again and mm-hmm. maybe another time. And um, it being like my first introduction to like a noir detective thriller-esque, like I was terrified the whole time, but didn't really have to be. Uh, film and with that i've remembered it ever since like it's something that i've never i've never forgot the film i've watched it again you know it's almost at its 10 year anniversary i've watched it since then and enjoyed it just as much as i did the first time Mm. so yeah it's just one of those films that i think it when i think of what i want to talk about it's one of the top that comes up yeah and it is so discussion worthy and so dense and we're gonna dive into every single part of it Before we get into the movie itself, uh, some trivia. I kept it on the lighter side for this one because I know that there's so much to talk about with the movie (laughs) itself. So just a few things. First, the title is an anagram of the phrases truths and lies and truths slash denials. I love these. I always you always do so well at like stumping me with some of the facts because I feel like I know so many of them and I had no idea. That's amazing. And when anagrams play such an important role in the movie itself, it makes that so much cooler. The rule of four becomes the rule of five. Yes. (laughs) Mark Ruffalo won the role of Chuck after sending Martin Scorsese a fan letter saying how much he wanted to work with him. I did know that. Yeah. I thought that was really cute. And I was like, why doesn't that work for me? (laughs) (laughs) Because we don't have Mark Ruffalo's acting Nobody knows us. (laughs) This is the only movie of the partnership between Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio that failed to receive any Oscar nominations. Gangs of New York, The Aviator, The Departed, and The Wolf of Wall Street all did receive nominations. That's interesting. I did not know that. And blasphemous, because this movie is so good. Quite blasphemous. I feel like he did so well. That's one of the things that I highlighted Mm -hmm. as far as his acting ability. He did so very well in this. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah is underrated it, it feels like an underrated movie in general i agree to give his cast members an idea of how this movie would be stylistically martin scorsese screened 1947's out of the past and 1958's vertigo for his cast and crew i can see the vertigo influences for sure 
Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm felt, not familiar with the other movie, so it felt like a classic noir film with like the rain and just how intense the rain was. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense to me. Yeah, scenery from multiple locations was combined via CGI to create the imagery of Shutter Island as a whole. These include Pedex Island in Boston Harbor, Acadia National Park in Maine, Medfield State Hospital in Medfield, Massachusetts, and the Rice Estate at Turner Hill Country Club in Ipswich, Massachusetts. The large mountainous area of the island seen during the ferry approach was added in post-production and does not actually exist. Wow. That is pretty shocking, too. I never noticed any. I think there might have been one scene where I was mm-hmm. like, that's a green screen. But most of it, I didn't. It never pulled me from that. They did a great job. I love the idea of combining multiple locations to create a new fictional location, too. Yeah. Dolores, in the dream sequence, is depicted as having her back hollowed out in ashen. In this aspect, she bears a strange resemblance to the Skogstra. I might have said that wrong because it's not English. To the Skogstra or Huldra of Scandinavian folklore. Beautiful forest trolls whose backs resembled hollowed out trunks that seduced men into marrying them. If their men abused them, they would wreak vengeance on the men or revert to an ugly form. This may connect Dolores' mental breakdown to Teddy's, a.k.a. Andrew's, alcoholism and the implied mental and verbal abuse that she suffered at his hands as a result Ooh, that's some real deep goodness i love that she's like a hag upon first watch it's like oh yeah she's burning but there's like all this there's a whole different yeah i would have never pulled that in i don't know any of that folklore that's really really cool i Mm. hope that actually is relevant to the writing and the imagery of the scene i I wonder if that's like an actual thing that they did Lastly, Leonardo DiCaprio's character has so polarized his two personalities that for the first part of the movie, Teddy never strikes a match to light his own cigarettes. This is no doubt because he associates matches with arson and the elusive Andrew Latus. However, as Ashcliffe's treatment begins to merge his personalities, he begins striking his own matches, particularly when he traverses cell block C. Yep. I, I 100% noticed that. His relationship with water and fire and throughout the film is very interesting. Oh, I have a whole section on it. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to talk about the movie, but we're going to do so in a little bit of a different way than we normally do, because this is a movie where the ending reveal changes the whole way you watch the movie the first time through. So now that everybody's hopefully watched the movie before (laughs) listening to this episode, (laughs) and please do if you haven't, uh, the reveal is what we're going to talk about first to give the rest of our conversation context. So in the reveal, and we also need to talk about our theories because there are differing theories about this and we should figure out if we're on the same page or not. Yes, I'm so interested to see what you think. So if we start from the point where Teddy enters the lighthouse in an attempt to save his partner, Chuck, who thinks he's being operated on there, Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Colley's waiting for him at the top and reveals that Teddy Daniels or Edward Daniels is actually Andrew Latus, the 67th patient at the hospital. Now, this is where the differing theories come in, because some people believe that this is true and that Teddy is, in fact, Andrew Latus. Other people believe what was presented by the woman uh, or the real Rachel in the cave and that Shutter Island is actually uh, using all their influence to affect Teddy and convince him that he's crazy. Mm -hmm. So which camp do you lie in? I think the latter is absolutely enticing, and I fully understand why people think that. 
because it's really, um, it's very fun to think. Well, it's not fun. That's terrible to say. It's interesting to think that there's an island, a place where these people are trying to es- essentially turn people crazy and mm-hmm. control their minds so they can become these murder machines. Um, <laughs> versus the reality that he is just crazy and it, it's just that simple and it sucks, but it's, it's just that simple. And that's where I live. Um, I live in the world of he is, he does have a very, I don't know what to call it. There's a lot going on with his post-traumatic stress. There's a lot going on with his hallucinations. Mm-hmm. I think that he has a lot of just guilt and and sorrow for what he's done and other people in his life close to him have done. And it's just, this is how it's manifested. And I think that it's sad, but that's the, I think for me, that's the reality of the story. That they are one and the same? Yes. I agree with you. I think that 100%. Teddy is actually Andrew and has created this alternate persona as a way to avoid the reality of what he's done, what his wife has done even, because he can't handle even that part, let alone what he did as a result. Yeah. So good. We're on the same page, which means we can pick out all the same evidence. <laughs> yep. Um, so he was a U.S. Marshal at one point, but was sent there when his wife and children were killed. Uh, Edward Daniels is an anagram for Andrew Latus, which they show. While Rachel Solando, who doesn't exist, is an anagram for Dolores Chanal, his wife. It's also an anagram for Rachel Letus. Is his it really? daughter? Yes. Oh, I mm-hmm. did not realize that's so that. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> the engineering of the movie. Yep. Teddy has a hard time accepting it when Chuck walks in. Chuck tells him that he's actually Dr. Sheehan and that he's been his primary psychologist for the last two years. And there's a lot of evidence that goes to support that, as we'll get through the rest of the movie. Kali goes on to tell Teddy that this has all been a last-ditch attempt to help him, an elaborate role-play intended to finally allow him to accept reality. At this point, Andrew has a flashback and remembers the events that led to this point. He comes home from work to find his wife, Dolores, outside. She approaches Andrew, behaving weirdly, and Andrew notices that she's all wet. When he asks where the kids are, she says that they're in her school. It's here that Andrew sees the bodies of his three children floating in the lake. He rushes into the water and carries them out, sobbing uncontrollably. This scene is so hard to watch. It's such a impactful scene that I've never forgot. Never, not once. It has such a mood to it. Mm-hmm. They framed it so well. It's oh, and it has this like type of almost like I feel like I've dreamt it before, but it's I think it's just because it's so pre- it's presented so well in this mm. dreamscape kind of reality. The scene not only, like, I think solidifies what we know about Andrew, Teddy, Marshall, whatever the hell we're going to call him, mm-hmm. uh, that this is why he is the way that this is one of the many reasons why he is the way that he is. And yeah. I think this is the, the root of all evil in his, um, his, his subconscious mind right now is that experience he had with his wife at the lake and his children. And man, I remember watching that scene and just, I don't think the first time I watched it, I don't think I cried because I was around other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but this last time I, I watched it this morning specifically, I just bawled. It was so, he did such a good job at his micro reactions he had for her. I remember the moment he had with her where she said, um, they're at school and his face just completely changes. And yeah. he has that, it's like a mixture of anger and frustration and just like, what are you talking about? Like questioning her almost. It's Saturday. Like, no. Yeah, it's it's Saturday. Like you could tell that he's dealt with her doing something sort of like this sure. before. 
And then he kind of has the realization. He looks out at the lake. He sees the kids floating. Like, oh my God. And that spiral of him, I think was, and I, I always look at scenes where actors have to like emulate someone dying. And sometimes they're really, really good. And sometimes they're really, really bad. And this one, I've never seen someone kind of take it the way that he did. Mm-hmm. It felt so organic and natural. Yeah, that scene forever will remain in my mind. I don't think I'm ever going to forget that scene. It is crazy powerful. Uh, Dolores hugs him and says that they should seat them at the dining room table for dinner. A shot is heard as Andrew shoots and kills her almost out of instinct because he glances down after the shots heard almost in shock. Yeah. Like he didn't realize that he just did that. Yeah. I think it's almost I mean, it was definitely like a mercy killing. Mm -hmm. Clearly. And he knows he has to. But at the same time, like, imagine, you know, the love of your life, despite what you've gone through, even she did kill your children. But even then, I'm sure there's an ounce of love left in you. Sure. Remembering, you know, what you've been through, the moments of saneness that you had together. Yep. Yet another moment that was just so wonderfully acted by him. Waking up back at the lighthouse, Andrew seems to be in full acceptance of his reality, what his wife did and what he's done. Dr. Kali mentions that this has happened before, nine months ago, but then he regressed. He had reset to being Teddy once before, and they fear he might again. The next morning, we see Andrew sitting on the steps by the hospital grounds. Dr. Sheehan takes a seat next to him and offers a cigarette. Andrew calls him Chuck and appears to have regressed back to Teddy once again. Sheehan gives a nod to Kali in the distance, signaling that the regression has occurred, and Kali gives the order to prep the lobotomy. Before Andrew gets up to go with Kali, he says to Sheehan, You know, this place makes me wonder. Yeah, what's that, boss? Which would be worse? To live as a monster? Or to die as a good man? He stands and willingly walks toward the orderlies. Sheehan looks at him inquisitively. This is the other point of debate. So one, we've already agreed on the first one, but now there's another thing that divides (laughs) people because of that line. It casts the shadow of doubt. Has Andrew actually regressed to being Teddy once again, or is he pretending to have regressed in order to accept his fate? What do you think? I think he has not regressed. I agree. I think that line is completely (laughs) uh, with clarity of what's going on. I think the glance that he gives to Kali is a knowing glance as he walks toward the orderlies. Absolutely. And that is why that is what solidified me thinking he did it intentionally. Mm -hmm. He says we got he starts off that conversation. We got to get out of here, Chuck, and ends it with saying that and then willingly getting up and essentially surrendering, surrendering himself. Yeah, nobody told him to go. Yeah, no one told him to go. No one, he didn't, they didn't have to fight for him to get up, which I I think would have been more real if he were actually regressing. Mm -hmm. I think he was making a choice. He was, which we have later in the film. We have, I think it was Noyce who tells him, yes, you have to make a choice. Yep. And he made that choice. Absolutely. I will Mm -hmm. say, because this is based on a book, that in the book, he does regress. Yeah. But that line also doesn't exist in the book. Yeah. That line, I think that line specifically is what made so many people freak out yep. on the internet and in the, in the forums. <laughs> yeah, the book ends with the part like, we're too smart for them. And mm-hmm. he's like, we sure are. And that's where the book ends. And then they added this on for the movie to add that extra level of complexity. 
Which I love. I think that's that's absolutely that's what that's how you do it right with books to films. Mm-hmm. Is you you add that little that little nuance that no one has yet, make yeah. people lose their minds. <laughs> <laughs> so as we get into the rest of it, um, it's just a quick thing to talk about fire and water and the way that it is represented throughout this movie because they both play such huge parts. Now, this is the thing, while I was aware of everything else kind of in the movie, because I've watched it several times in the past, the mm-hmm. fire and water thing is something I never really thought about or even noticed that much until I started looking into it further. But man, yeah. is it <laughs> in there. Is in it prevalent? Play. Yeah. Such imagery. I noticed it in the past, but I think on these last few look-throughs, because I had been doing it with a critical eye, I noticed it even more. Mm. Like, to the point where I was annoying myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it can just be water, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there are times where it doesn't hold 100% true. It's just uh, yeah. kind of a general rule. So in the movie, fire is representative of the alternate reality that Teddy is in. Whenever there is fire or smoke around, that generally means that Teddy is hallucinating and very far from reality. Water is representative of reality and the truth. Whenever water is nearby, he's getting closer to reality. The storm itself is a huge example of this as it's forcing him to stay on the island and see this all through. In the scene we just discussed, there's a small detail you may not have noticed. When Teddy snaps the toy gun... It leaks out water as he's in a major moment of realization. It's a it's actually a water gun. It's not just yeah. like a regular toy gun. Right. Yeah. And I I didn't really look at it necessarily as as as, as simple in my mind, I guess, as like truth and 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 uh, what's real and what's fake. But for me, it was like the fire was his mental illness and the water was the thing that kind of like quelched that mental illness. That makes sense as well. Yeah, which I mean, those are two, they're the same exact thing. Sure. But like my imagery, my mindset was that, then that only. Like I remember the moment where he is at the rocks before he jumps into the light or into the water to get to the lighthouse, mm-hmm. which in the past I've always thought like, that is so ridiculous. Like that is so ridiculous to jump into the ocean in a crazy, like the tide is nuts, like you're swimming. And, but also at the same time, like this is him getting closer and closer to his truth. Yes. So it was also a moment of like almost him baptizing his mental illness um and and getting closer to the thing that he he deep down knows is reality totally which yeah no the the fire and the and the water was crazy in this film oh absolutely so i'm gonna refer to him as teddy throughout the rest of it just because that's what the movie is kind of putting forward at this point him yeah. So jumping all the way back to the beginning, <laughs> uh, U.S. Marshals Teddy Daniels and Chuck all arrive at Shutter Island to investigate the disappearance of patient Rachel Solando. Uh, of course, Teddy is getting sick while being surrounded by the water. He can't handle the reality that he's currently in because he knows on some level it's not actually real. The guards are noticeably on edge when they arrive. We're supposed to believe that's because of the missing patient. But in reality, it's because Teddy is actually a patient and they have no idea how this is going to go. Yeah. And when you go back and you watch it and you realize how the guards react to him almost every time. Mm -hmm. It's so good. I remember at the beginning of the film, we're at the ferry and he's with Chuck and uh, like the fog is kind of clearing, which made me like think of the mind, the brain fog clearing from his mind. You get that like five second glance of the... The, what is it? The handcuffs mm-hmm. hanging and which I'm sure he was being held at one point, um, which I for a while, like, didn't even notice that. Like, it was something that completely went over my head. Mm. I didn't even, like, connect it. Even after have seen it a few times, I didn't even notice it. Yeah. That beginning scene, they set it up really well. They do. 
Once they arrive at the gates, the marshals are asked to turn over their guns. Chuck, of course, has some trouble getting his out of the holster. So he hands over the whole thing, which is a funny little moment. But it's because he's not actually a U.S. marshal. He has no idea how to handle it. Yeah. I didn't think about that when I saw it the first time. But this last time I chuckled pretty hard. Yeah. Because he spends a lot of his time trying so hard to, like, pretend like he knows what he's doing, but he doesn't. And a lot of the way that he questions things and Mm -hmm. chooses to, like, actually interrogate is not the proper way to do it. No, it's the way a psychologist would do it. Yeah, which is because he's dealt with that for so long, which is really interesting to see. Inside, they meet Dr. Colley, who explains the situation about their missing patient. He uses the crime that Teddy's wife had committed as the backstory for Rachel's crime, which could be weird in some contexts, except for the fact that Teddy does this himself. So Kali is literally just following the same path that's been presented over and over again. Upon hearing this, Teddy suffers the first of many headaches that he'll have throughout the movie. Yeah, which I'm still, I guess the headaches are a part of the withdrawals. Yeah, I thought at one point he was having them when presented with something that hit too close to home. But the migraine, the really bad migraine he has afterwards is after meeting fake Rachel and not all of that kind of lines up as much. Yeah. I'm still even now kind of confused where it's tied to directly. It could be a combination of both. Mm. I know the shaking, the tremors were definitely related to the withdrawals. Yeah. So, yeah. The headache, it definitely remains a mystery to me, but I like it. It's a nice touch. Yeah. It makes you as an audience member question what's going on. Oh, yeah. It's it's that kind of red herring idea. Yeah. We're like, are they actually... Because now we question when we get to real, uh, real, real, quote unquote, Rachel... <laughs> Uh, later on in the cave, it makes what she says have credibility. Yeah. So right. those scenes are definitely needed. Uh, they right. question the staff in the common room. Anytime Dr. Sheehan is mentioned and Chuck is in the room, the person involved in the conversation tends to glance off screen, presumably at Chuck. Yep. Uh, I remember the scene specifically with the the crazy, not crazy lady mm-hmm. uh, and the uh the interview sequence. Oh yeah, where... we're gonna get to that. That is <laughs> that is the biggest scene in the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's it's super important and it tells so much. Mm-hmm. But when you go back and you realize they know that he is the um, the therapist, yep. you can tell like every little tiny. It's so good, which you don't see in the first time. She's very affected by the fact that he's there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The marshals go to Collie's house and chat with him and his colleague. Teddy has an outburst here about not getting the files. And as they leave, Chuck gives a glance toward Collie like, oh, boy, he almost went off the rails. We almost lost him. Like, that's just a little glance in a normal watch. But when you know the context, he's like, oh, man, he almost lost control. What what would we have done? Which leads up to later when he kind of almost does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Teddy believes that no one's telling him the truth. And at night, he has a dream about his wife, Dolores. While they're chatting, ash is falling from the ceiling. As he hugs her, suddenly she's wet with blood staining her dress from the abdomen. She tells Teddy that Latus is there just before her body turns to ash and blows away. As the flames get larger, he wakes up. Of course, the dream is surrounded by fire. Yet another fire scene. That was another scene, too, that I felt was very close to the lake scene that just had so much impact on me. I remember vividly the ashes Mm -hmm. falling and how good that was and how just good, how well she was acting in that moment as well. Like, kind of just standing there dripping with blood yep. and being turning into flames. It's a visually powerful scene. Incredibly. All of the dream sequences, I would say, are insanely powerful. Mm-hmm. The only things that, and I think I left them mostly out of the notes, the things that I kind of left uh, or don't remember as much are all the World War II flashbacks. Mm. 
they don't hold as much strength for me. Yeah. I understand why they're there. Yeah. But just to give context of like his violent past, but it wasn't all yeah. like needed as much of it as we got. For me, I think, and I agree, I don't think it was as much like it wasn't needed as much. But for me, I think the reason why the one, the experiences he had with Dolores versus him at war is because I've seen World War II footage. Sure. Like I've seen, I know what that looks like. It's painful. It hurts me every time. I feel the same way I feel about it every single time I see something that's strictly from World War II. Mm-hmm. And then with her, it's a whole different relationship because he is in pain in the war sequence, but it's like a, he signed up for this pain. Sure. And with her, it's a whole different, like you're ripping the bandaid off every single time you watch it. Mm, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah. The marshals proceed to interview some of the patients that were in group therapy with Rachel. This is one of the most pivotal and telltale scenes of the movie. If you really, really dissect it. Uh, so they speak to a woman, Mrs. Kearns. Also note that she is smoking, so we have fire or smoke present in this scene. There are three solo shots that are used. So there's a few shots where they're looking at from the side of the table, but there yeah. are also three solo shots on Mrs. Kearns, on Teddy, and on Chuck in this scene. Yeah. In each of these solo shots, a guard can be seen in frame in the background behind Mrs. Kearns and Teddy. However, there is no guard in frame in Chuck's shot which is a subtle hint that Chuck's the only one of the three who's not a patient and doesn't need a guard watching them. Ooh, that's a really good catch. I would have never thought about that. Ooh. I love that stuff so yeah. much. Visual Which this film is riddled with. Uh, of course, when Teddy asks about Dr. Sheehan, like you mentioned earlier, she glances in Chuck's direction quickly. It even cuts to Chuck quickly after she says that he's not hard on the eyes. As soon as she says that, it cuts to him real quick, and he's almost embarrassed. Yeah. Yep. Which I did not at all notice in the first. No, not at all. Which is so good because that proves just the organic nature of yep. of those scenes. She asks for a glass of water and Chuck goes to get it. When he's gone, she grabs Teddy's notebook and writes the word run in it. We learn that later, even though we don't mm-hmm. see the word right now. Uh, right after this, we're shown a shot of Mrs. Kearns from Teddy's perspective. This is one of the things that people question a lot in the movie as well. So we see a shot of Mrs. Kearns from Teddy's actual eye view. Mm -hmm. When she takes a sip of water, there is nothing in her hand. Ooh, I think I remember reading about this, but not noticing it when I was watching. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like that makes sense. So because she's crazy. This is she had a a cup of water. Oh, she was drinking from a cup of water because she puts it down and it's right, empty right, 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 in the right, next right. scene. But in that next scene, we're looking over her shoulder now. We're out of Teddy's mm-hmm. perspective. So from mm-hmm. Teddy's point of view, he mentally removed the water after glancing at the word run and knowing the subconscious link that she was telling Andrew Latest to get out of here and being confronted with his other personality. He blocked out water from... <gasps> Because it's water. Yep. And then when the glass is empty and we're not looking from his point of view, it's back. Holy heckin' frick. That's so good. Oh, that's so good. I love that. It's one of the best things in this movie, in my opinion. Yeah. And I remember, like, when I was reading about it, kind of just glancing over it, because a lot of people were focusing on the fact that it was an editing issue, Mm -hmm. that they edited it It wrong. And I was like, how would you? I was like, whatever this is, we'll figure it out later. Uh, that's so very good. Like, even if they were just doing fill shots, why would yeah. they ever not have the glass in her hand? Yeah, that is why would not they take... a mistake. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially considering the director. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> And when a movie is this detailed, they mm-hmm. consider absolutely everything. And I love that detail. That is very good. So easy to miss. Uh, at the end of the interview, Teddy asks about Andrew Latus, and she gets noticeably upset, which is another huge clue. Teddy tells Chuck that Latus was a maintenance man in his apartment building, and he lit the match that caused the fire that killed his wife. He goes on to say that when he looked into Latus being here, he started to suspect that there's a greater conspiracy at play involving brainwashing, and he requested this assignment to investigate further, which is interesting. Which is the beginning of the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. as soon as the conspiracy starts coming up. Mm-hmm. They meet up with Dr. Kali again, who tells them that Rachel has been found. Hey, miraculously. Right. I was just like, oh, my God, how would you not know? But <laughs> right. also, you're crazy. That's why yeah. they go to Rachel's room and have a strange interaction. Uh, Teddy has a migraine soon after and is taken to bed to sleep it off. That whole scene with fake Rachel, who we find out later is like a nurse. Yeah. Like, OK, they got the best like people with acting potential. Yeah, I was about to say she, she was also here. an actor on the side because yeah. like, <laughs> she does such a good job in that in that room. Yeah. Uh, which I was right there with you when I was thinking about that. I was like, man, all of these these people who are role playing should consider acting. <laughs> yeah, they need to start doing murder mysteries like <laughs> throughout the hospital as like a, a funding thing. <laughs> Side entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> Come see the nurses act. <laughs> uh, that night, Teddy has a dream where a young girl says, you should have saved me. You should have saved all of us. The dream then cuts to show Teddy a manifestation that he's created of latest. Of course, the fireplace is prominent in every shot of Latus. He even lights a cigarette for Teddy. Rachel appears in the room bloody and with three children on the floor at her feet. The scene cuts again, this time to a house on a lake where they put the children into the water. Teddy seemingly wakes up, but then a hallucination of Dolores comes in from the rain to tell him that Latus isn't gone. He's still here. What a crazy scene this is, jumping between those three different parts. Which, after having watching it several times, you can easily connect them. Mm-hmm. But the first time, it's just like, what just happened? Yeah. Like, what is that? It's beautifully, it's well acted, beautifully shot. But what the what the hell are you trying to tell me right now? It is all over the place. Yeah, if you don't mm-hmm. understand the context, uh, of course, when she comes in from the rain, mind you, <laughs> he says, "Why are you all wet, baby?" Which is a line that comes up a couple Later. other times. Yep. Uh, And even though she's a hallucination, she is telling him real things, which is why she's all wet, not just because of the other reason she would be wet from the lake, but also coming in from the rain being covered in water, which is washing away all the falsities. Falsities? That's a thing. Sure. Yeah, that's a thing. (laughs) Uh, When he does wake up, Chuck is there to tell him the backup generator has gone down. He also lights a cigarette for him, welcoming him back to his false reality. Yep. Like, here you go. Let's do the thing that we need to do to keep you where you are. Yeah. And he's really pushing the story, Teddy's story that he keeps telling himself. Yeah. I remember in the um, when they're at the crypt um, in that shed, when he kind of like plants that seed, being so confused the first few times I watched that because I, I was trying so hard to like keep my theory on he is just crazy. But then realizing like, no, this is some this is a part of their crazy way of like doing therapy on this dude yeah. is like actually, you know, planting the seeds, making him believe that he is being controlled. Yeah. Which is just nuts to me. Can you imagine? Like, this is your therapy. 
we're going to deceive you. <laughs> we're going to deceive you into reality. We're going to set up your own Truman show. Like, no, for like a couple of days in a mental hospital. Good Lord. <laughs> like what? A, I mean, I, I appreciate them trying something before they lobotomize him. Right. But God. <laughs> yeah, I know. Talk about extreme measures. Right. With security down, they head to block C. There's water dripping everywhere in here because they're getting closer to the truth. Uh, patient jumps Teddy and starts choking him. Teddy gets the upper hand and beats him up until Chuck pulls him off. Alone and by himself for a moment, Teddy wanders around until he hears someone call out the name Latus. Such a good scene. It is. Teddy finds the cell of George Noyce, the patient who he told Chuck had informed him about the conspiracy. He's noticeably beat up, and when Teddy asks who did it, George says that he did. Using matches to light the scene, Teddy has another hallucination of Dolores. Noyce realizes this and tells him that if he wants to uncover the truth, he has to let her go. Yep. I wrote down, I typed in a quote in my notes specifically that I thought was really impactful. He said, you got to make a choice. You understand that, right? You can't dig up the truth and kill Latus at the same time. Mm -hmm. Which for me, once I think that's the first scene that really like solidifies it for us. Like, okay, now we know this is the reason why I think he's crazy and that the island isn't against him. Yeah. They're just doing really fucked up measures to try to make him uncrazy, which wouldn't work for anyone, no, by the way. No. But <laughs> but at that time, with their kind right. of loose understanding of what they are even capable of doing. Yeah. yeah. Psychologies in the 50s was not great. No. So I think they at least did that well. <laughs> yeah. This is also uh, Jackie Earl Haley's only scene in the movie. But mm. holy crap. So impactful. So impactful. Especially, and I think that this is where another, they set the mood really well for the um, thriller part of the film. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of moments where you're just on edge the whole time, really for no reason, but it adds so much to the mood of the scene and him lighting that match every time just to kind of give us a bit of his face. Yeah. Oh, such a beautiful touch. Oh yeah. Everything about this scene is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Chuck returns with Latus's intake form, which seems to be the only thing in his file, but Teddy wants to go to the lighthouse instead of looking at it. He heads to the lighthouse on his own. It's now his like big doubting from Noyce's words. He's now doubting uh, whether or not Chuck is there to help him or hurt him. It kind of ditches him. Yep. Not finding a clear path. He heads back to where Chuck was finding a smoking cigarette on the edge of the cliff. Thinking he sees Chuck's body in the water. He climbs down and realizes it's just a pattern on a rock. And it's a quick glance at that rock. At first, I was like, what caused the body? Like the first time I watched it. And it took it took the rewatch for me to be like, oh, OK. The that, power of suggestion. Yeah. That rock has like a vague shape there. Yeah. Ish. That coincidentally works. But <laughs> yeah. Which if you have it in your mind that possibly somebody jumped and that's what you saw. Sure. Like, yeah, that's plenty to give you to to go down. Yeah. When he looks back up, he sees a flickering light from one of the caves and climbs to it. He does a lot of cliff climbing <laughs> he does like movie. he's very very adept at it too yeah. inside the cave he meets a woman who introduces herself as the real rachel solando she claims to be a former doctor and confirms every brainwashing conspiracy theory that teddy has there is some debate as well as to whether or not she exists yeah, and that's something that i wanted to talk about too do we think she was put there as a part of the role play or do we think that she is a figment of his imagination similar to his wife? I think she's a complete hallucination. Yeah. 
I'm kind of on the fence. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what I believe because I think for his hallucinations, it's made sense to me because in most of his realities, like he knows these people like Dolores was his wife. He spent time with her. Mm-hmm. Hallucinating her makes sense. His children hallucinating them makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. But he never had a hallucination where he just saw somebody he's never seen. And Julatus. Oh, that's true. The face, the guy that he imagined in his head. Yeah. That's true. So that's a good reason to think that maybe this is a hallucination. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. I was like, maybe this is just another therapist who they have used, who actually was on vacation and just came back. Sure. Like, But they never really give us an, a reason for that. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think that it's stronger to believe that he was hallucinating. Yeah. While they're talking, the campfire between them is in soft focus in the foreground, sometimes getting big enough to briefly obscure them, a sign that this is all a hallucination. It was so good. That campfire was so good. Mm-hmm. And how they kept it in every shot. Yep. There are parts where it like, completely point. covers her face mm-hmm. very quickly, like a flicker that comes up and goes down, but definitely there. She is the glitch. <laughs> <laughs> After sleeping there, Teddy leaves the cave. A jeep driven by the warden finds him and drives him back to the hospital. The warden goes on a whole lecture about violence and how he doesn't believe violent people can avoid their nature. Such a good scene. This was the scene that I watched that I was like, yep, that's a green screen. Um, (laughs) The background does not it does not mesh well, but I loved it. I love that he was just poking at him, trying to kind of get him to break. Mm -hmm. Because you can tell who in the film is on the side of like, yes, we need to cut their brains out. Yes, we need to strap them to tables. Yes, they deserve to be sedated. And the people who actually want to be empathetic and actually try to bring them back to reality. And this man, this man right here, he he wanted to fuck with him so bad. And you can tell such a powerful scene. Yeah, he, he thinks the whole role play is nonsense. It's also why he's not present during almost all of it. Like he sees him and asks who it is at one point uh, when he's being put to not put to sleep that sounds bad uh when they put him in bed following the migraine thing uh he sees Mm -hmm. the warden for the first time and asks who it is but we haven't really seen the warden take any action within the role play and it's not until he disappears overnight that the warden's like all right enough of this i'm gonna find him Mm -hmm. and then has that speech with him like it was very you could just tell in like the tone of his voice like this is such a waste of time please just snap on me right now and he didn't Teddy talks to Kali again, who says that he came to the island without a partner. This was a weird part for me. I don't know if he was trying to end the role play now because of what happened in Block C, like the violence and stuff, and they had to pull uh, him off the other patient. So why I didn't, I couldn't really figure out why Kali would be like, you came here without a partner. Yeah, I think that went over my head while watching it, too, because I didn't think about that when I saw that. Because I just remember this... Because this is the part where he goes back into the, where he almost gets stabbed by, this is right before that part, right? Where he almost gets juiced up by, uh... Um, this is right before he goes and blows up the car. Oh, okay, okay, right, right, right. I don't know. I don't know if I remember that specifically. Yeah, so there's, there's like a whole bunch of people coming in. It's like all the players gathering right. in one room. And like even uh, Mrs. Kearns is there, and she like laughs at one point. And it's almost like they've gathered all the people to be like, okay, we tried this and it's over now. But Mm -hmm. then, so he says like, you came here without a partner, but then he's also kind of still going with it. Like not a hundred percent backing out of the role play, but maybe giving him a possible, like, is this your moment of clarity? Right. You've been gone all night. Have you realized the thing yet? That's probably why. To create a diversion, Teddy puts his tie into the gas line of Kali's car and lights it, blowing it up. 
In the explosion, he sees another hallucination of Dolores and the little girl from earlier, the first time he's seen them together, this version of Dolores, at least, that wasn't Rachel. Uh, Dolores tells him that if he goes to the lighthouse, he'll die. And she's not wrong. She's not wrong. And from that point, we... Don't see Teddy anymore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we cycle back to the stuff we were talking about before. Uh, We get all the ending and the reveal and stuff right after that. Yeah. Something I will go back and say, though, about that scene is when he goes to light the tie Mm -hmm. and he looks at her and says, I love this tie because you got it for me, but it's so damn ugly or something like that. That was such a good moment of just like, oh, right. They're married. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) they're married. They weren't psycho at one point. Like they did normal marriage stuff Mm -hmm. and bought each other ugly things. And that was a really good touch, I thought, too. Yeah. And then, of course, we get the reveal and all that stuff and our theories stand true in my opinion it it shocks me like i did a lot of internet research and forums looking and stuff and it is shocking to me how many people question or believe in other parts yeah i understand why because it's fun it's fun to think that maybe he's not crazy maybe he is just this hero that is which because when i um like the imagery of him getting the rifle and running up the stairs on the lighthouse and i was just like immediate this is world war ii again for him yeah like he is battling the nazis right now and that it connected so well it was so full circle and for that even with that it solidified it even more for me uh like he is he is just a very wounded man mm. and and they, he even they say that they they say the word wounded or trauma in German when he is he goes against Dr. What is it? Nell Krieg or something like oh, that. Yeah, I don't remember his name. <laughs> yeah, something like we don't get a lot of him, but he's a hater for sure. Yeah. And he says, you are you are a wounded man very specifically. And yeah, once we see him at the top of that lighthouse having that conversation, you can really tell mm. like this is this is this is it. Like he is just very, very sick. Yeah. And that is Shutter Island. that's it ladies and gentlemen (laughs) that is it uh any other thoughts about the movie that you want to get out there before we wrap it up you know i think it just does a really good job at highlighting mental illness in in it in that time Mm -hmm. in our like timeline as humans and what it looked like in the 50s and what really really deep trauma not like you know losing your parents at a young age not like i think what we're all used to hearing but really really deep dark trauma can do Mm. to your psyche i think even leonardo dicaprio talked about this role and how traumatizing it was for it was for him Mm. to act in it um and to kind of put himself in that in that realm and just how like happy i am how far we've come from these methods yeah this movie doesn't happen in the modern era (laughs) (laughs) don't worry guys shutter island isn't real (laughs) (laughs) can't set it in present day and have it work this way yeah but yeah really really well done i'm really glad that we reviewed it because i am i haven't watched it in a while so it was really nice to go back and and revisit the the depths of that and the writer the writer leda um she also is the showrunner for uh altered carbon oh she is so very talented wow um she's showrunner she's a producer she's a writer all of the things that showrunners are and uh i think one of the reasons why this film is so fucking good is the writing oh totally Um, yeah yeah, Dennis Lehane, he just kind of advised. He didn't really write a whole lot. He said it himself that he just kind of advised. That's how they wanted mm-hmm. it. And I think so many of these scenes wouldn't have done as well as they did without the way that it was written. Sure. So huge shout out to her. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, as we do wrap things up, please tell people where they can find you. 
Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> definitely check me out on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv forward slash Todreal. You can find me on Twitter at Todreal and Instagram, Todreal with an extra L. Um, and also YouTube. YouTube is like my new, it's my side home. I visit her. I have vacation on YouTube. <laughs> I'm doing reaction videos for a show called Killing Eve. If you've ever heard of it, you might get very excited about that and go check that out. Uh, so yeah, that's me. Thank you awesome. for having me, Rob. Thank you, Todd. It was really lovely. Always fun. Always fun. Every time. Random Movie Club is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on the Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. You can support Random Movie Club and get access to exclusive bonus content by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Join our community on Discord and continue the conversation at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. Our theme song is provided by Michael McLeod of Wolfstein Music. A link to his site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening, and make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss Rush Hour. See you then. Rush Hour.